What's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Fine Asia, co-host of the Main Channel podcast, and the host of the Source Fine Asia YouTube channel. I guess I could start saying co-host of the Source Fine Asia YouTube channel because China Mike officially has his first video. I think I'm, we mentioned this in our goals for this year um, that one of the goals for Mike was to start posting on the YouTube channel. Um, I think get a specific amount of videos that he wanted to post. He's got the pre-recorded. It's just um, sort of uh, getting the time to organize his thoughts and send them over to the editor because um, Mike's videos are trying to do something a little bit different within the same subject range but have his own rhythm and I think he's still trying to figure that out but in this video we interviewed Don Wilder which is a good friend of Mike he's known Mike for a very long time um, and Don Wilder has launched a bunch of crowdfunding campaigns in the past both for his own business and also as a consultant and this was a crowdfunding campaign and they kind of discussed the process of product development so without uh, before I say without further ado if you haven't already check out episode 100 this was the 100th episode of our podcast uh, where we reviewed the 80-20 principle which is a question that I've asked to over 40 guests on the podcast and we you know took all those answers and created them into a supercut in six different subsets and Mike and I gave our own review and there's some uh, there's some special special little tidbits towards the end of the podcast that I think you guys might enjoy. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Cheers. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? My name is Mike from SourceFind Asia, and this episode is the sourcing table where we talk to friends and people on our network, other entrepreneurs who are doing really cool stuff in Asia and worldwide. So in this episode, we're talking to a really good friend of mine. His name is Don Wilder. Don is one of my best friends. He's a great guy and he has a super, super interesting story. Don is a true nomad. He's one of the pioneers, in my opinion, of physical product game. He was on the early end of crowdfunding boom, you know, the, the physical product crowdfunding boom. And, you know, Don's got a great story. You know, like Michael Michelini, for example, he, he was really out there doing things before a lot of other people were and just getting down and dirty in Guangzhou and Shenzhen and learning the hard way really. He's got endless amount of stories you know I hope to have him back on the sourcing table for an interview or even better get him on the podcast and and just pick his brain about all the crazy scenarios that that he's been a part of so this was a really cool conversation that Don and I had in Chiang Mai and yeah I was just really excited to have him on so hope you guys enjoy it thank you guys welcome back to the sourcing table with us today is a good friend of mine who i met in china quite a few years back mr don wilder don is an expert in the field of product development and crowdfunding so just wanted to bring him here give us some background on his story 
how he got involved in product development and give us some tips and advice for how to launch a good crowdfunding campaign. Don, how you doing? Good, Mike. Yeah, thanks for uh, the invite to interview. For sure. Can you give us some background as to how you got started in this business? And yeah, sure. What got um, you in the game? Well, as you know, back in about 2012 is when I first really saw the, the opportunity to do product development. Mm -hmm. uh, before coming to China in 2010, um, I studied graphic design and marketing uh, stateside back in Portland, Oregon, and then in Idaho, where I'm from. A friend, a mutual friend, you also know Ryan, Ryan launched a uh, crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter for a set of men's fashion watches. He did really well. He, original uh, Grain, whoever wants to check that out. Yeah, Original Grain, and he just killed it. This is in two, 2012. So Kickstarter as a platform was just getting started. Our group of friends just saw that, wow, there's this, you know, this is possible to actually source and develop products and then get it onto crowdfunding and, and um, see success. So at that point, I just started considering, you know, what type of product could I develop, looking at it uh, more closely. Uh, I had a friend at the time, a Chinese guy, that actually owned a couple factories doing, like, um, plastic molds. So I shared a few ideas with Daniel, and Daniel said, hey, I, I've got another friend who has an industrial design company. So the three of us teamed up and decided we're going to have our hand at uh, developing a couple products. So um, we did. And uh, the first one that we launched was a, a brand of men's fashion belts called Eastwood Slider Belts. And we went on to Kickstarter in 2013. And uh, it was a success. In about 30 days, we raised close to 125,000 USD. Beyond the belts, what were some of the other campaigns that you were involved in? What were some of the other products? That you were um, for me personally, products, uh, I did a couple belt campaigns. And then uh, another product that did well was a portable ergonomic laptop stand. The idea came to me one day when I was in Shenzhen. Shenzhen has a really big electronics market called Hua Changbei. Some of you guys may have heard of it. I would go to the markets and just kind of roam around. You know, they have these buildings that you know, go up maybe five or six stories and you can just get lost in there. And a lot of these are factories that are pushing, you know, newer products or just OEM products. While I was roaming around in there, I came across a little phone stand that was made out of uh, aluminum alloy, right? It had three plates that you could kind of fold open. It had kind of a little hinge system there. It looked nice. It had kind of a real Apple aesthetic with that, that uh, silver aluminum alloy. And I, I thought, you know, are there any stands like this that would be suitable for a laptop? That was one of the ideas that I presented to my two friends that was working with. And we developed a laptop stand and I called it the, the Ridge Stand. Uh, it took about a month and a half to prototype and then another couple of weeks to do our marketing. And once we got up on Kickstarter, we did about a 45-day campaign, if I recall, and raised close to 75,000 USD with that product. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Sounds like a lot of the stuff you were doing, you were able to do it possibly because you had a lot of these connections in China. Mm. You know, you had access to the designers, you were friends with people who had factories. You could walk out your house to Bay and go see all these products firsthand. But a lot of people who are watching this and a lot of people that we come in contact with or inquire with Source Fund Asia, you know, they're based elsewhere. You know, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're in the States or they're in Europe, wherever they are, and they have aspirations to maybe leave their job or to develop a new product. Is it essential for product development and eventually, you know, starting your own brand? Is it essential to be at the hub of manufacturing in China? Good question. I, I would say it's not completely necessary, 
right? But it's definitely helpful. Right now, because of you can access so many things online, you can find people to help you prototype or develop products, uh, do QC, whatever it is, through just an online channel. But if the manufacturer or if the company that you're trying to reach is right next door or just you know down the road, uh, you're going to have a lot better communication with them and the whole process is going to speed up a lot. I would say for simpler products, you definitely wouldn't need to, but if you have the opportunity to visit Asia and go to China to see the manufacturer, it's going to really help you understand the whole process of product development. And some of these, you know, when you develop a product, there are just so many details that come out. So by being there and being more hands-on, uh, almost 100% you're going to come out with a better product in the end. I agree. I always try to tell people, too, if you're getting into this for the first time, you're going to develop an ODM product. You're going to develop something new. You really have to be passionate about it, or at least uh -huh. passionate about the process of developing something new because it takes forever, and I agree with you. You know, I don't think it's impossible to develop something, you know, that, that's manufactured out of, out of Asia from abroad, but... I think in China, especially from my experience there, the more you're in their face and the yeah. more they see you and the more physical pressure you're putting them through on, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, the, yeah. The, the more attention they're going to give to your product. For sure, for sure. So other than that aspect of not being in proximity, as someone who's developed a new product from start to finish, what are some other obstacles, roadblocks that you might deal with a Chinese factory? Or you could also put that into some of the partnerships you've had and some of the other people you've yeah. had. What are some things that you should look out for? Doing business in China has plenty of challenges. Uh, you have got uh, you know, a language barrier, a cultural barrier. Let's just say when you're trying to work closely with a manufacturer, you have to understand their point of view. So a lot of these factories, whether small or large, they're looking to try to get as big of an order as possible with the least amount of work or amount of thinking. If you give them, you know, your your ideas or your designs for new products, uh, don't leave any any gaps, right? What I mean is, like, try to make sure that you get all of the specs, all of the sizing, all of the color dimensions, everything down to a T, and don't leave any room for error because those little margins are kind of gaps where you're letting the factory choose for you. That can lead to some huge problems later on, especially when you go into production. Whatever your product is, you may be developing something completely new, right? You don't have a lot to go off of as far as other examples, but you're gonna want to try to get as familiar with that, that space as possible and with that product in order to give them good guidelines. I've seen it happen many times on, on a couple items that I've developed and then mostly with other friends, their experiences. Another thing with Chinese manufacturers is when they say yes, it doesn't always mean yes, right? Sure. I know you've, yeah. you've run into this. It's a culture it's a that typically wants to please. Oh, we <laughs> yeah, we can make it, yeah, right. Yeah. And then later on, you find out that it's not quite the case. Yeah. So uh, watch out for that. Another thing is um, your MOQ, right? Your minimum order quantity. Uh, you might find a factory that is happy to make a sample for you, and it may be you know, suitable to, to what you like. When you find out later, they're expecting 10,000 units, and you're, you're thinking a small batch. Now you've got trouble. So just simple things like that. One other thing I wanted to ask you was, when you first put up your first campaign, when you were talking about Ryan, that was 2012. Mm. I think um, I was a part of the project, a project around the same time, which was yeah. the, the Bongo. The yeah, I, rem I remember, speaker. right? So I think that was kind of like the sweet spot 
for products going up on, on crowdfunding. Yeah. It was the first like like wave of products. I think that was a different market mm. than we're dealing with now. Now it's kind of saturated. There's so many companies that are doing this. So I just wanted to get your take on how crowdfunding has changed from 2012 when you first started until now, and then what mm. are some things you have to do now to ensure that your campaign you know, gets the necessary amount of eyeballs on it mm. that it needs in order to be successful? few parts to that question for sure like in like 2010 to 2013 14 there really weren't as many campaigns so it was just easy to get funded because you had a lot of organic traffic that was getting pushed to your, your page right so uh, now it's not that way you really have to find you know have a strategy for setting yourself apart from the other campaigns because I've seen some really good products and really good marketing for the campaigns that go up on Kickstarter and they don't get funded kind of shocked so there's a few things that you can do to improve your chances of success, and that is some simple things like you know set a reasonable funding goal. I see some guys they're like thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot for the stars and go high, you know. So if I do make it, I'm gonna have a little bit of extra money. Don't don't even think like that, you know. Like know what your costs are gonna be, know what it's gonna take to just you know cover cover costs to move forward. I would say that's important. One thing that most campaigns are doing now is a pre-launch process. So before, we used to just put, a, put together a campaign, throw it on Kickstarter, launch it out, and, and let it run. And now that's, that's kind of a big no-no. You just don't do that. You really need to go out. You're going to have a hard time yeah, to see that campaign. Because it's, uh, it's hit or miss, right? So if you don't stay towards the top of the rankings and you drop down, it's kind of like going underwater. You're, just, you're sinking, right? So... Uh, the more visits you have to your page, it's going to take you up to the top, to the surface. So make sure that you do a pre-launch and engage a community before you go onto the platform, which means reaching out to some key influencers for your space uh, and trying to get them involved, uh, or at least aware of, of your campaign before you launch. I would also suggest having uh, a budget, an advertising budget, if, if depending on what type of product and, and uh everything that you're launching, but... A lot of people suggest targeted ads, bringing people to a landing page mm. where you give them some background on the product. Maybe they sign up for some sort of email campaign where you're giving updates about the product and the production process, correct? For sure, for sure. Landing pages, are, I mean, it's, it's pretty standard. Also, consider your, your customer profile or your, your backer profile. What type of guys are really going to like your product, right? So... If you're developing whatever it is, if it's a speaker, a speaker could hit so many different like customer profiles, but what type of person are you really trying to engage? Really try to get as specific as possible because it will be helpful for you when you do start testing your ads and reaching out to people to you know launch your product. Most definitely. For the sourcing table, we do a physical meetup here in Chiang Mai, and we're looking to take that out to other cities as well. But Don came to speak at one of the last meetups, and that was one of the main things I took from him speaking. And just uh, using that for my advice and, and my communication with my customers as well as some of the products I'm trying to develop is you really honed in on targeting that niche market. You know, don't take things out too broad and try to please everyone. If you really hone in on the people who like your stuff and those are your customers, that's the best way to, to gain some traction and you can get a foothold in that market, right? Yeah, for okay. sure. Last thing I want to talk about before we go is you have a new crowdfunding campaign that is in the works. Yeah. Been developing a new product and I thought you'd give us some sure. intro uh, to that. 
It's it, it is new. It's not really hardware. It's a it's a tabletop game. It's a card game. I actually played it by the way. I tested it. It's basically all around comedy scenario role play. And it could be a party type of game or um, we'll have two versions. It's been a fun project and uh, I think it has some legs to it. So right now I'm just building that community like I mentioned. I produced 300 packs so I'm sending out to influencers, getting them to play test, getting feedback and then kind of rallying some support. We hope to launch mid-January. So, uh, is, there, is there anywhere right now that people can start to get Yeah, Yeah, I have a landing page. The web page is called dramamayhem.com. Yeah. yeah, and we'll post that along with the video so you can check it out. And is there any way that people can get in contact with you, ask you any questions, uh, inquiries about the game or anything? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you my email okay. and you can post it in the Sounds comment good. section. Yeah. We'll do that. Don, appreciate your time. Cool, man. Good yeah, it's a pleasure. All right. See you next time. All right, thanks, Mike.